All right, let's get back to these phone lines, and uh, let's see. Clint, Mike, James, and Mark is the order. Clint's first. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How about you this morning? Oh, a little too humid for my liking. But I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a lot worse. Yes, it could. Question for you. Here in the, in the past, I remember you had talked to Fred Morales out this way about uh, he had something going on, I believe, on fields that were BMA irrigated, the uh, fertilizer didn't seem to have much effect. So am I assuming the, uh, the irrigation brings in a lot of good stuff? Um, not really. Um, you know, in, in a matter of fact, when you're talking about the, the uh, purple pipe water, so to speak, there are issues uh, with it being too high in salts. I know that uh, some tree growers and all tried it and quit using it, but now... Water, I mean, water is our one of the things that we are most lacking in, um, and it's you know one of our most expensive commodities. So for field irrigation and things like that, yeah, it's fine. But uh, I sure wouldn't say that it brings a lot of other things with it. And I don't, I don't remember having him his having said that the that the fertilization. I, I'm sure the chemical fertilization is somewhat hindered by it, but Fred's really used getting more and more people using the poultry litter products, and uh, he works with so many different people. He has great sources on organic fertilizers, and uh, I don't think there's any negative impact uh, depending on what whatever your water source happens to be. The organics tend to stay in place much better. They tend to bind to the soil through something we saw, call a cation exchange process. So uh, um, I, I don't think there are any negatives as far as fertilizing there. I thought you said well, the stuff that got the BMA water out of Medina Lake didn't seem to respond as much as uh, stuff that was, I guess, just rain or something to that effect. Well, you know, rainwater, of course, is much more, um, much less alkaline than uh, than any surface water or any groundwater in this part of the country. So rainwater is indeed kind of magic, but, you know, we just don't get regular rains. It's not really a reliable of source of water for most crops. So, uh, no, I, there, there's nothing better than rainwater. Rainwater is superior to most any other water that we can use. But uh, uh, the Medina Lake water, the Canyon Lake water, I don't think there are really any negative effects to it. Right. On, on a, a different topic, um, looking at some property that had used a lot of pickle ram, I think that graze on or so forth. Right. Now, and at the uh, coastal, that will pick it up out of the soil and and transfer it that way that's correct not really it it's more that it is sprayed onto the foliage of the plants and um that's you know that's where um it, it is absorbed into the plant but once it has gotten down into the soil i don't believe the plants really absorb that much of it back out of the soil i'd have to talk to some of the chemis- chemical guys to see but uh it it just doesn't break down there's just nothing in nature that decomposes it so once it's in there that soil is pretty much worthless for a lot of years as they say was with most pollution the only answer is dilution and it takes a long time to get that stuff down out of the soil you can keep on growing all the coastal you want but you're not going to be able to grow cotton in there. You're not going to be able to grow, you know, milo or certainly tomatoes or anything like that for a long time. So it stays in the soil for quite some time. Yes, sir. 
Like I say, it uh, doesn't ever break down. It gradually gets diluted down. But uh, at least according to Dr. Lane Ingham, who's one of the leading authorities on soil microbiology in the country, she says it never truly decomposes. It's one of a group of herbicides they call sulfonated ureal herbicides that just uh, there are no microbes out there that are able to decompose it the way they do. Even most of the other toxic poisons, even Roundup gets broken down over time, but the Picloram doesn't. Okay, now I got the strangest tree question you've ever ever been asked. <laughs> Let's try. I had a couple of mesquites that blew over in a windstorm, so I know they didn't die from a poisoning or anything. Uh huh. And when I throw this stuff on the grill in the smoker, it doesn't have the um, re- regular mesquite smoke and taste to it. It's just kind of blah. Any idea what's going on with that wood? <laughs> it's about four years old. It is drying. fully dried. Fully dried, about four years, four or five years. Um, you know, unless for some reason, um, I, I would think that, you know, one of the things that gives mesquite wood, um, gives mesquite smoke its flavor, uh, mesquites are a real dry, arid country tree. And I guess it's possible if we had a real long rainy spell or something like that, they just, uh, they're a little, the sap's a little bit more watery and probably hasn't concentrated quite as much of the, of the flavorful smoke ingredients as it were. But uh, that's just supposition on my point. That's a great question. And I really don't know the answer to that. It's, uh, um, I, but I'll bet you, you, you will find that the drier, the more arid the country you harvest your mesquite from, uh, the more potential it's going to have to be a really great smoking wood. I, I suspect that those mesquite trees, uh, probably just grew in an area that got so much moisture. They didn't build up all the same chemicals in the wood. That, uh, is what we look for when we, you know, are smoking our meat on it. Well, we get pretty dry out here in Divine, so. <laughs> yeah, I, like I say, at the time they went over, maybe it followed a period that had more rain. I, I, that's, that's a great question that I can't give you an absolute answer to, but, uh, I'll ask, uh, David Vaughn, who's going to be doing our seminar today. If I get a chance, I'll ask David if he has any ideas because he knows more about trees than any other 10 arborists put together. So we'll see what he says about it, Clint. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks a million. Always a pleasure. I appreciate your call. You have a wonderful weekend. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Up to Johnson City. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, I, I got a couple of quickies here okay. for you. First of all, uh, I'm trying to clean out underneath my oaks, get rid, get rid of all the agaritas and the persimmons, undergrowth mm-hmm. and stuff. And heretofore, what I've done is taken a brush cutter and then sprayed sprayed the stumps of the agaritas and the and the uh, persimmons with uh, I hate to say this, but sprayed them with remedy and and the water and, and along with a surfactant. Now I'm trying to get away from that. Mm-hmm. And so my question is: Is there any other easier way to do that besides just grubbing them out? Well, remedy, of course, is very damaging to your oak trees, and uh, it will, yeah. you know, it it will be very bad for them. Um, one thing you can do, and and grubbing them out's, you know, hardly a good thing either, because you wind up uh, the, you know, agarita is not so bad, but that those persimmons and things can have really deep roots, and you end up damaging right. the trees trying to get the other roots out. Anywhere that you have, you know, any kind of a stump. 
that you could drill some holes down into. If you yeah. if you drill holes and fill with potassium nitrate, saltpeter, it will make that wood rot much, much more quickly. It turns the cellulose, the wood fiber, into something called nitrocellulose, which is much more spongy. And uh, I don't know, I guess you could actually light it as we do if the stump is out in the open because it's not going to, you know, not going to burn to the point that it's going to cause any problem to the trees. But just drilling, drilling those stumps and again, adding saltpeter, that's going to break down that wood fiber much, much faster than if it just sits there in the ground. That'll, especially that persimmon is so hard, it'll, you know, it'll stay there for years and years. And that blasted agarita just re-sprouts as quickly as you cut it off. So um, that's what I would do where you can. The other thing you could do, and this just kind of depends on how thick it is, but you could cut yourself some little, you know, maybe two foot by two foot squares of weed block. And just when you're after you cut this off, if you if you've got it smooth enough that you're not going to have the little twigs poking holes up through it, you know, just put your little square weed block down on top of it and put a couple of rocks, dump some mulch or something like that down on top of it. And it will really suppress the regrowth. Now, that's hard to do if you've got a thousand acres to do. But if it's uh, in a more limited area, that'll work very well for that matter. You know, it might look kind of give us, not to offend East Texas because I was born there, but it might kind of give it that East Texas look. You can take some old shingles and, you know, just yeah. put a couple of those on top of every one of those stumps, and that'll that'll really slow down the regrowth as well. Yeah, I've used that weed block before, and it just doesn't work. I mean, the stuff just comes right back through it and stuff, you know. Well, you may be using a cheap weed block. Don't use the stuff you get at Home Depot. You know, talk to a... Talk to a good agricultural supplier because, uh, as the guy that used to make Baskin Robbins ice cream uh, said, there are very few things in the world that someone can't make wor- make a little worse and sell a little cheaper. And there's some there's yeah. some not so. And I've had you know I, I've tried a bunch of the different weed blocks. Uh, I use them sort of a temporary thing. I put them down for a year and then pull them back up to kill areas that I'm wanting to expand my garden into. But let me tell you, there's a big difference in quality. Right, but that business about drilling them out and putting that potassium nitrate on there, you know, that's not going to work because most of the uh, the agaritas and stuff, I mean, they're not bigger than... Yeah, no, they don't have enough of a stump, but your persimmons, and uh, they they would, but the agarita you're going to have to do something different with. And so maybe... Uh, just use the weed block for the roofing shingles or something like that, you know. That would be probably the best thing. Now, if there are any, see, the problem with uh, the remedy is that it will move a long distance through the soil, and it will kill trees 100 feet away from where you put it out. Uh, If those stumps are any distance away from your trees that you want to save, my non-organic remedy that I just, you know, but it's a lot better than... uh, you know, than the remedy is, but, uh, make your mixture of uh, diesel and molasses, uh, 50, 50, just dump, doesn't take a whole yeah. lot of that. Dump that over the stump and that will kill the, uh, the molasses will clean it up, uh, in a big hurry. And, uh, I don't think, you know, as long as you're a little ways out from the trees, I think that'd work very well. And, uh, while it's not, not the best answer, it sure is a lot better than, than the chemical stuff. Yeah, see, but the, the the oak trees they don't like the remedy. I mean, the diesel, right? Uh, that's, that's, yeah, but they uh, like it better than they would like the remedy. I I would go with the weed block or the shingles or whatever, and uh, you know, if it's out in a rural area where you can dump some 
you know, soil or something on top of it so it doesn't look quite yeah. so trashy. I, I love those little asphalt shingles. They'll they'll cut down yeah. a lot of stuff trying to come back up. That or roofing felt or something like that. Yeah, yeah that might that might work. Okay, uh, another quickie is: Are y'all going to be selling any vegetables in the six pack this year? Yes, we have a lot of tomatoes and a lot of peppers right now. We've got uh, two sources producing them for us now, and uh, pretty in good supply pack. of them coming in every week. In in the six pack, yes, sir. Call oh, before you make the drive, but uh, we went through a lot of vegetables yesterday. But gosh, I know we had. Oh, man, uh, a couple of hundred six-packs at least on tomatoes at the beginning of the weekend. So, um, you know, come see if you want to be on the safe side. Call and talk okay. to Wendy or Donna or whomever, and we'll set some aside for you. Okay. But it's too early for tomatoes, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Next question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, in Johnson I'm City, I wouldn't be planting them yet. I'm not planting them in Bernie yet. In San Antonio, no. maybe a different story, but... Uh, um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to be putting them at the ground. So far as I know, we will continue to get them in six packs. Uh, I wish, yeah. well, no, I don't wish I've, I've been a grower and it's just too much labor and too much time, but I anticipate that we will continue to get six packs for several more weeks. Okay. Good deal. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're, You're welcome, Mike. Thank you. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm looking forward to this week more than I was looking forward to last week. Uh, this time last week, looking at the weather, looks like it's going to be a little bit more spring-like this time around, and that makes me happy. Yes, sir. I lost uh, two tomato plants. <laughs> well, that's pretty small losses in the grand scheme of things. I just hope they weren't your expensive grafted tomatoes or any of those. No, those were on the other end of the hoop house. Yeah. Uh, the frost cloth needs to go all the way to the ground, by yes, the way. Sir. <laughs> and if the wind's blowing hard, that means you may have to tie it down pretty well. Uh, yeah, I've got a, a greenhouse inside a greenhouse when it yeah. comes to those cold temperatures. Uh, I dug up a couple of uh, two-foot-tall celebrities to replace them with some two-foot-tall celebrities. There was sure was a lot of earthworm activity <clears throat> in those uh, in those holes that I pulled those plants out. And the only thing I can blame it on is that Espoma uh, <laughs> tomato tone. <laughs> well, I don't know if I I how much I would you know say that that's the the only thing. I think yeah, the good things in the Espoma tomato tone are very good for earthworms. But I'll tell you, I find the same things with any good organic fertilizer. But the, uh, they do make a good product. They put all the Beneficial microbes, not just the mycorrhizae, but the bacillus subtilis, and uh, they they make a great product. Yeah, I'm sold on it, Deb. I got two two heat mats. They're two foot by four foot, and uh-huh. there I got one slot left in there. There's cantaloupes, cucumbers, and squash getting ready uh, to germinate. That'll might be ready to transplant the end of the month or maybe the first week in April. And I've got to uh, start some more tomatoes for the youth garden. But anyway, we're we're really really having a good time out here, man. Tell me about uh, the cucumbers you grow. Do you grow the some of the newer hybrids? The uh, oh golly, the um, name just went out of my mind. Uh, but the divas is one of the new ones. There's another one that uh, 
um, supposedly as a super high producer, one of those those seeds that are 20 or 25 cents a piece. Do you grow any of those, or what varieties do you grow? The the sweet success is hard to stay away from. Yeah. If you've ever uh, grown and eaten them, they're uh, they're really a good cucumber, man. Yeah, and they're, they're one of those little bit pricier ones, and that's why I think you're probably good to start your transplants rather than direct seed that one into the ground. But sweet success is sure a good one. You're you're exactly right. Well, I can buy a whole pack of seeds for what you uh, uh, downtown fellas pay for a, <laughs> a cup of coffee. <laughs> But uh, and and any other suggestions on squash? Do you have a favorite? Uh, do you grow crook neck or straight neck or which which squashes do you grow? Well, the early prolific <clears throat> straight neck, the yellow ones. Everybody likes cooking and eating with that. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Jerry Parsons and complaining about sometimes that the yellow squash gets those green streaks in it, especially right. when they get a little older. Yeah, a little virus. He, he recommended a multi multi-pick uh that that might be a better better choice but uh the early prolific straight neck is man that's a good that's a good squash it is you mentioned that i've got a supplier that i'm getting tatuma Uh uh-huh tatumi seed from good i i thought it was extinct but i finally found some yeah, and that's a great little squash because it's pretty much immune to the squash borers. But uh, let me back up for just one second to those green streaks and things that you get in there. Try, when that happens, try spraying with a little bit of hydrogen peroxide and see what happens. Um, I've used it just on a limited basis, but for me, because I think a lot of that streaking is viral, and for whatever reason, I don't think anybody fully understands the mechanism, but uh, hydrogen peroxide really seems to suppress that and uh, do away with that kind of modeling in the color. Try try that uh, if you have any of that show up this summer, and let me know what your results are. Okay, I'll pass that on to one of my uh, uh, scorch growers. I'm growing uh, transplants for another another grower. Very good. Uh, so, I, so I can get them... Uh, I can get what I want. The reason I called was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to ask you a question. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, making the uh, garlic tea, um, Malcolm and Howard recommend to grind up the the garlics in a blender. Uh, can we use the granulated, uh, dehydrated garlic and come up with a fairly good product? You can. Um, it's just, of course, a matter of getting the uh, all the the allicin and all the other good things out of the garlic. And when you have really dried it thoroughly, sometimes it's hard to get that back into solution real well. Um, I still think the fresh is probably better. Or just buying the you know the garlic juice. Um, goes a long way toward doing, uh, you know, being the easiest thing to do. I'm not as crazy about, you know, blending it because that, you know, that leaves all those little things behind that can clog your sprayer up. So yeah, I know. That's uh, I'm, it, you know, and that's why the old timers uh, used to always have a garlic press where they literally press the juice out of the garlic and use that. And that's a concentrate to the point. A little bit of uh, garlic juice goes a long way. So, um, you know, if you're 
Uh, garlic has, of course, that great antifungal potential. It has, uh, you know, pretty strong anti, well, insecticidal or at least insecticide repelling qualities. So I'm not sure I wouldn't just, in most cases, just broadcast the, the dry garlic out there. And then if you need to make a foliar spray, uh, I'd buy a little garlic barrier or a little garlic pro. There are a bunch of different garlic liquid garlics out there that aren't that pricey when you consider how how far you dilute them down you'll also find it under the name of mosquito barrier uh gosh i'd have to go back and look at the shelf to tell you some of the others but look at what the active ingredient is and uh you'll find most of it just um, pretty high concentration of garlic juice well that's what i wanted to use in the foliage spray because yeah. i use the uh the fish blend um like malcolm and the guys used to use uh but sometimes if i've got a problem i like to put a little garlic in there sure sure well again on a liquid i would go with a liquid garlic and uh i i don't know it, it'd be interesting to take the dried garlic and see if you could rehydrate it i guess you'd you know probably put it in uh, an old soccer you know, uh, pantyhose or something like that, so you don't have to strain it so much. Just every time you add another step in the process, I mean, the time, thing I'm shortest on in life is time. I just, the day's in before I get all my work done. And if I can eliminate one step in the process, sometimes it's worth an extra dollar or two to make it easier. Yeah, I'll buy some of that liquid product you suggested. Uh, that sounds like a real, real good deal for uh, for what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I think that'd be I think that'd be a lot easier than blending or trying to uh, trying to use a dry either one. Let me know if you have any did, trouble finding it. I, I you know there's some good stuff out there. Okay, I did the research on that uh, to me. Yeah, and it's not squash; it's pumpkin. Okay, <laughs> it, it's a pumpkin, man. It's just uh, consumed at a really uh, young age, and it's as good or better than a lot of squashes well you know that whole family they call them the curcurbits sometimes for me it's hard to tell where one ends and the next one begins as to what what really is the difference in a squash and a pumpkin but uh, they're pretty closely related so uh uh that's news to me i'd I'd never researched that but that's real interesting but it's not going to affect my growing it and enjoying it it sure is a good thing they or the calabacitas, they call it. You can make it do a lot of good things with that in the kitchen. They're uh, not a, they they're not as uh, prone to get beat up as bad with the vine borers. That's the whole thing. That this the vine is so thin on the tatumi that it uh, uh, the the borers just can't get into it. Okay, well that's all I got. I I'm not uh, short of uh, finding anything to do around here, man. When I jump out. <laughs> It's right there. Well, starting tomorrow evening, you'll have a little bit more evening daylight to do it, too. So for for those of us that uh, work on a clock, I I don't let them take my daylight savings time away. I hate to hear it when they keep when they talk about doing away with it, because that's that's my extra hour of work when I get home in the evenings during the summer months. So uh, you get out and enjoy, James. Always a pleasure talking to you. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Mark and Sue and Joseph and Lewis, and Mark's up first. Good morning, Mark. Yes, sir. I had two questions. One, I have a excuse me, a Myers lemon okay. on my deck okay. yes, in sir. a pot, and it's got like little, under some of the leaves, is a little like a spider web, a, a real tight web, 
Okay. I don't see any bugs, but a lot of the leaves are kind of curling. The curling is uh, totally normal this time of year. When we go to real high humidity to real low humidity and the temperatures are jumping back and forth, every citrus tree out there is going to curl a bit. Um, I watch those webs because sometimes, and certainly as high as humidity is, I don't think spider mites are likely to be an issue now, but sometimes you'll get a little caterpillar down in there that will literally roll the leaf around itself. So keep an eye out for that and be prepared to spray with a, you know, good natural product like BT or something. But uh, the leaf curling is just, you know, totally normal. Just be sure you're watering thoroughly and regularly. As you well know, we have not had any good soaking rains at all, and especially in a container, that Myers lemon's going to need a good thorough watering every few days. Okay, thank you. And then one other question, I've got about 25 oak trees in my yard, and a lot of them have this kind of a gray spots on the bark. Yeah, yeah, that's called is that, a... Is that tough? That's called a lichen, L-I-C-H-E-N, if you want to look it up. It's a real odd little plant combination. It's actually a moss and an algae that have a symbiotic relationship. It is totally harmless to the trees. Sometimes they'll develop little whiskers. Sometimes they'll develop some of the oddest things. There are many, many different forms of lichens. They grow on rocks. They grow on trees. But they are totally harmless to your tree and nothing to worry about. Great. That's all I needed to know. Thank you. I appreciate the call. You have a great weekend, and I'll say good morning to Sue. Good morning, Sue. Hi. Hi. Uh, I heard you and Harold and Garrett talking about Roundup uh, last week, I think it was. Right. Uh, he said it works so darn well, but he didn't mention that it works only for like two or three years, and the plants get immune to it. Mm, eh, yes and no some plants have built up a resistance to it mainly when they've gotten the genetic material transferred to one of these from one of these genetically modified organisms uh, uh plants don't i mean it's it's a matter of chance and uh, most plants unless they have been what what happens and it's one of the great lies that Monsanto tells us and all these other things is uh, they say when they when they started developing genetically modified plants that, you know, it would be totally safe. Those genes would never spread anywhere else. Yeah. And as it turns out, many much of that genetic material moves into some of the bacteria in the soil, and those bacteria can transfer it into other plants. And that's where we're getting these, uh, you know, super... Uh, herbicide resistant weeds and things like that so uh, it's not a natural process that the plants you know stop being affected by it it is another thing that mankind has screwed up through the genetic mutation or genetic modification that they have done but uh, uh, there's just in my book there's just nothing good about roundup and i to me it ought to be totally banned and outlawed and the evidence just mounts daily about all the damage that it does to people and animals and the environment so uh um, yeah it's one more interesting point about it but this uh, uh indeed the roundup resistance which is a result of their genetic modification spreading to some other plants is indeed a growing problem that they don't want to talk about. Uh, another thing I said to counteract that, whatever the cause is, they're putting like 2,4-D into Roundup or, or having to go to stronger herbicides? Well, it's not just 2,4-D. 2,4-D is a broadleaf weed killer, but they're putting Trimac and some different uh, 
uh, things in there. But yeah, they're uh, and and it's interesting that one of their I think it was enlist duo that under political pressure they approved it, but then they found out that Monsanto was lying about their test results, and uh, they withdrew their approval of that product. But uh, um, I I don't have the time to keep up with everything that's going on out there, but you better believe they're still trying to trying to get more and more of it uh, out there all the time. And uh, the thinking people, I think, just uh, will totally stay away from it any of those products that's one of the things i'm going to be talking about down at the saws festival today okay uh one more thing um i believe that uh lichens are a symbiotic relationship between algae and fungi you said moss but i think you just misspoke. you know i'd have to look that up it's been a lot of years since biology won for me but it is a symbiotic relationship between between two harmless organisms and i think you're probably right there i appreciate that exciting when you think about it okay thanks you're welcome sue thanks for the call all right well joseph called and then his phone cut out on him and uh so he's gonna be the top of the board then it will be uh lewis and then it will be victor so uh good morning joseph yeah i was calling about that man mentioned earlier about some spots on his trees i've got some kind of blue moldy looking spots on my mountain laurel so those uh is it on the bark is it on the leaves on the trunk. Yeah, that's probably the same uh, lichen right there. They come in a wide range of colors, and uh, they're just, when we have as much humidity, I mean, I've hiked up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. When we go up to the Seattle uh, gift market up there, we always go out and hike in some of those wet mountains, and boy, where you've got the rain and you've got the humidity, that's when the lichens really grow, and we've just had the perfect weather for lichen growth this year so uh not anything to worry about not a sign of a problem and not a really anything you could do about it if you wanted to that wouldn't be damaging to the trees so just ignore it yeah i i mulched up my oak uh, leaves yesterday can i pour molasses over that lawn now or is it too late to do it oh no you can put molasses uh you know don't go too strong um, I, if I were applying to the lawn area, things like that, I'm going to go about two tablespoons per gallon, but, uh, you'll kick up all sorts of good microbial activity, no negatives whatsoever there. And, uh, today be a real good day to do it. How about uh, spraying has to grow on my jasmine? Can I do that when it's wet like this? Or should I you, wait no, you certainly up? can. No, absolutely do not wait for it to dry up. Uh, has to grow. It's mainly organic, and the one thing in that is not organic is just a chemical form of something that occurs naturally. So I very definitely would use the has to grow plant. Now, don't get it confused with has to grow lawn, which would burn your jasmine, but has to grow plant today would be a great day to apply it as a foliar spray. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, down to the coast. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Questions this morning. Sure. Growing so growing soybeans for Donnie. I'm gonna try that this year. And I think in the one of your past episodes you talked about it. You know, the wind, the planet, the culture, the fertilization. Would you mind covering that again, please? Well, Ed, you know, the edamame soybeans, uh, they're just a fairly big bean to soybean. There's lots of them out there. 
They are all legumes. They, of course, if you're if you're planting in, into an area where you've had beans and peas and things before, you don't really need to do this. But if you're putting them into a new area, I very definitely would get a little bit of the what they call inoculant, which is what helps them form those little nodules on the roots that uh, actually take nitrogen out of the air and help the plant make some of its own fertilizer. But uh, most of your soybeans are going to be bushing plants, uh, just lots of sun, till your soil well, lots of organic material. And I find the problem that I have with soybeans in my garden is just they seem to develop an iron deficiency if I don't use an iron supplement. So that's one place I'm going to be using either a good green sand or ladybug's yeah. magic sand. I, I find that that makes a big difference in the quality of the soybean. And, of course, keep them adequately watered. Spray them periodically with liquid seaweed because spider mites can be an issue when it gets hot and dry, but uh, other than that, just grow them like you would bush beans. You don't know how much um, green sand are you using, Bob? Uh, what I'm using in, in lieu of green sand now is this uh, ladybug product called Magic Sand, and mm-hmm. you may have to look around a little for it. I think it's actually a green sand that came from somewhere up in the northeast. I know Carl Poole, if you can find the Carl Poole product, uh, they have something they're calling Jersey green sand. And and green sand, of course, is just a deposit that is literally mined from where there were prehistoric lakes or even ocean beds. And uh, uh, it's just where many, many millions, billions of algae played it out on some of the sands, you know, in aquatic areas. And um, the problem, our best green sand mine in in Texas closed down, and they went to an East Texas source, some of which seems to be contaminated with arsenic. So um, I'm not really big into the Texas green sands right now, but uh, the Jersey green sand or this magic sand from... uh, Ladybug, those are the two that I'm using in my garden. And I just, you know, in a good organic garden, you probably don't need a lot in the way of iron supplements. But uh, the soybeans are the one thing that I find that really do really do better when you give them a little bit of extra iron. Is that something you have to add every year? Because I've added green sand in this particular bed before. I would say just depends on how much you've added. Uh, I probably every other year it's something you will have to replace periodically, but uh, maybe not every year. Just kind of judge by the results. And like I say, some plants don't seem to have any problem with it. Uh, certainly most of our native plants don't. And on the other hand, some plants, I mean, if you're trying to grow things like gardenias or azaleas or some of those things it's almost mandatory there but uh just in the vegetable garden the soybeans give me more problem than anything else with needing supplemental iron okay good good to know do you are you adding it when you plant and are you side banding it or how are you i'm just putting it i'm just you know i put it down before i plant when i get ready to plant something i'm going to plant in rows like the soybeans i'm going to put that band of fertilizer down uh, I'm going to put, you know, that band of uh, green sand down, and then I'm going to put a little bit of compost on top of it. And just when I go back to plant, I'm just taking my little triangular hole and just creating a furrow and planting directly into that. And uh really does seem to work well. I've gotten to where I'm adding more lava sand these days, too. And uh, that's something, of course, you only really have to add once unless you just want to 
kick up the amount of it you use, but golly, it sure it sure has helped with water retention in the soil. I'm sure it also helps to some degree with uh, the nutrient retention through what we call the cation exchange process. But uh, anyway, it's a lot of information, but uh, I love edamame. <laughs> and I have to tell you, if you're ever... Uh, up this way, uh, out on Northwest Military Highway, this is this is an unpaid commercial, I guess. There's a, uh, a restaurant there called Sushi Hana. I think they make the best sushi mm-hmm. in San Antonio, but they make a spicy edamame, and they, you know, they do their edamame, but then they add a really tasty hot oil to it, and man, that stuff I could just sit there and uh, make myself sick eating edamame. So if you if you ever or up this way, check it out, and you may want to try to do some of your own edamame that way because it really is delicious. <laughs> love to share uh, when I find something really good. I you know love to share it with others, and I uh, I don't cook as much of it myself as uh, friends do, but uh, it's certainly something worth exploring, so to speak, Lewis. Um, if I can ask a second question. Chickweed control in my flower beds, my perennial flower beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, chickweed. You get a million plants when it's, as soon as it sees. Any any simple ways other than just hand weeding that stuff? Well, it's, it's mixed in with the with the plants where you can't use any vinegar. You know, it's 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 a spurge, and as such, it makes a jillion seeds. Mulching mm-hmm. will help control it, and it sure makes it easier to move out uh, to pull out. Um, I uh, use my little push pull hoe where it's not in too tightly with other things because you can do a large area very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really, uh, other than being a nuisance, it's really not that much of an issue to other things growing. So don't feel like you have to do anything. But uh, I think mulching is probably going to be the simplest answer to uh, reducing the amount of you have, and that push-pull hole works well, too. Okay, good, good. I was going to share a quote with you for him. Yeah. I, I've got to go to news here. This is KTSA San Antonio.